This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Illegal Chinese police stations back in the spotlight. Two men arrested in New York City over the Chinese police station that has since closed. They're facing charges for allegedly opening it on behalf of Chinese authorities. Reports know Beijing has over a hundred of these police stations operating around the world. Human rights groups raising concerns that the stations are used to harass and intimidate overseas dissidents. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. U.S. law enforcement arresting two men in Lower Manhattan on Monday. The Justice Department alleging the two men opened and operated a Chinese police station in the heart of New York City. Two miles from our office, just across the Brooklyn Bridge, this nondescript office building in the heart of bustling Chinatown in Lower Manhattan has a dark secret. Until several months ago, an entire floor of this building hosted an undeclared police station of the Chinese National Police. Now just imagine the NYPD opening an undeclared secret police station in Beijing. It would be unthinkable. In a statement, the DOJ said the two men allegedly opened the police station at the order of Chinese authorities. The reported order came from a local branch of China's Ministry of Public Security, a government body in charge of China's public security. The two defendants both live in New York. Harry Liu Jiangwang lives in the Bronx, while Chen Jinping is based in Manhattan. Both were scheduled to appear in court in Brooklyn Monday. Beijing operates a network of over a hundred similar police outposts in other countries. Chinese authorities say these offices help overseas Chinese with their passport services. Human rights groups say they help Beijing harass and track down dissidents living in the U.S. Ireland and the Netherlands have ordered outposts in their territories to close. More than 10 countries have started investigating the issue. Previous reports say there are still two other stations open on American soil. One in Los Angeles, the other in an unknown location. It's unclear whether they're still in operation. A warning from U.S. lawmakers, intelligence and cybersecurity officials. A Chinese invasion of Taiwan could leave American critical infrastructure vulnerable to Chinese cyber attacks. Here are the details. In a statement to Politico, Congressman Mike Gallagher said, if Xi Jinping moves on Taiwan, we should assume he'll launch cyber attacks against the United States as part of the operation. He added, this would likely include attacks on our electrical grid, water systems, and communications infrastructure, especially near key military installations. Beijing has been waging cyber attacks against the U.S. for over a decade. Through these attacks, hackers were able to get their hands on a wide range of technologies, plus personal information on millions of Americans. For example, valuable source code from Google and Adobe, personnel files on over 4 million U.S. government employees, and security clearance background information on over 20 million individuals. A report from the U.S. intelligence community released this February is underlining the threat. The report said if faced with a major conflict with the U.S., Beijing would almost certainly consider attacking American critical infrastructure and military assets through cyber attacks. 
A top U.S. cybersecurity official echoes that view. Jen Easterly is the director of CISA, the agency in charge of America's cybersecurity and the safety of critical infrastructure. She said the possibility of attacks against U.S. critical infrastructure in the event of Chinese invasion of Taiwan is not far-fetched. An article from Politico lists several likely scenarios. They include disrupting U.S. deployment of troops to Taiwan by interrupting seaport operations, attacking the power grid, and going after the water supply. The U.S. stepping up efforts to stop illegal trafficking of fentanyl precursors from China to Mexico. From there, the U.S. says the chemicals are made into the drugs and sent through the southern border into the U.S. Tens of thousands of Americans die every year from overdosing on synthetic opioids. And fentanyl has become one of the most frequently detected substances among those deaths in recent years. Washington imposed sanctions Friday, targeting two companies based in China and four Chinese nationals, all of them for supplying precursor chemicals to drug cartels in Mexico. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland labeled the China-Mexico drug chain the largest, most violent and most prolific fentanyl trafficking operation in the world. The PRC government must stop the unchecked flow of fentanyl precursor chemicals that are coming out of China. The first thing to do is that we are going to do everything we can to stop the precursors coming from China through here, through Mexico and then going into the United States. U.S. Ambassador to Mexico Ken Salazar added that an investigation has been carried out in 10 countries around the world as related to China's involvement. China denied the accusation on Monday, saying Beijing has tried to help the U.S. to the best of its ability. A court in Sydney, Australia, nailing down a suspected flight risk, denying bail to a businessman just days after his arrest. Alexander Churchill is the second person ever to be charged with violating Australia's foreign interference laws. They criminalize activity that helps a foreign power interfere with Australia's sovereignty or national interest. Officials say he accepted cash from suspected Chinese intelligence agents who contacted him through social media. It is alleged that on a number of occasions, the man met with two individuals known to him as Ken and Evelyn, who offered the man money to obtain information about Australian defence, economic and national security arrangements, plus matters relating to other countries. Those individuals are believed to serve China's Ministry of State Security. Police say he was given a shopping list of intelligence topics to report on. Those included Australia's AUKUS defense technology partnership with the U.S. and Britain, the Quad diplomatic partnership, and the mining of both iron ore and lithium. Based on court documents, the offense happened between February 2021 and April 2023. Magistrate Michael Barco noted Churko had lived in China for decades and had been on Australia's intelligence radar for some time. Churko's defense lawyer called it an issue of absolute civil liberties. There's a man out there an eminent Australian businessman that the uh, court agrees is a person of that stature with no convictions, no record at all, who is in jail today because he provided open source information in English for translation uh, to, as it happens, uh, China. China's foreign ministry said Monday it was unaware of the case. Churko faces a 15-year maximum penalty if convicted. 
Nations are sounding the alarm over China's ongoing aggression in the Indo-Pacific. On Monday, a group of top G7 diplomats gathered in Japan. The Group of Seven is an international government forum made up of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Britain and the United States. During the meetings, the foreign ministers called for a united front in the Indo-Pacific. Let's take a closer look. According to a U.S. State Department official, the seven nations are ready to work with China as long as China does the same. He also added that they're willing to confront any coercion, any market manipulation, any efforts to change the status quo in the Taiwan Strait. As the only Asian member of the G7, Japan calls for dialogue, urging the communist regime to act as the responsible member of the international community. Germany, on the same token, said in a statement, Many of our partners are already feeling at first hand how China increasingly wants to replace the existing general binding international rules with its own rules. The minister's calls for unity came shortly after French President Emmanuel Macron's recent visit to China, where he urged Europe to not get caught up in a conflict between Washington and Beijing over Taiwan. What's more, a U.S. warship sailed through the Taiwan Strait on Sunday. The voyage just days after China conducted military drills within the area. Those exercises were largely seen as retaliation against Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen for her meeting with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. For years, the Chinese Communist Party has seen Taiwan as its own territory, despite never having ruled the island. Luxury car deliveries from automaker Porsche are speeding toward a record high this year, and its largest market is leading the trend. Here's the latest on those numbers. The luxury automaker posted an 18% year-on-year sales rise during the first quarter. Buyers showed their taste for high-end cars in its largest single market, China, where health crisis restrictions have eased. Porsche delivered more than 21,300 vehicles in the country, up a fifth on the previous year. Premium brands have seen the benefits of a rebound in Chinese demand. Rival Mercedes delivered 191,000 vehicles in China in the first three months of the year, also up on last year. But it wasn't just China where Porsche sales accelerated. The German car maker delivered more than 80,700 cars during the quarter and saw a rise in every region. Its iconic 911 sports car was among the most popular for customers. Porsche executives said the results made them confident regarding the rest of the year, though the carmaker said it would stay vigilant in an environment it described as challenging. Back to the Indo-Pacific region, China is launching an investigation into Taiwan's trade barriers. Those are the island's restrictive measures, which target exports from mainland China. Some are calling the move an attempt from Beijing to meddle in Taiwan's 2024 presidential election. Let's take a look. On Wednesday, Beijing's Commerce Ministry said that the probe will conclude in October. But the ministry also noted that it could get extended through January 12th of next year, under special circumstances. This special date drew skepticism from Taiwan's legislators. Everyone knows that Taiwan's election day is on January 13th. They're taking advantage of this timing to aim at our economy in an effort to interfere with our election. The investigation came one day after China ended its war game in the waters surrounding Taiwan. Xiu Junrong, professor at Taiwan's National Central University, said China would likely use this time to end its trade ties with the island. But he pointed out that China's probe won't determine the island's future. 
After doing all that, the Taiwanese people aren't going to like the Chinese regime any better. It seems that the Taiwanese people have reached a consensus. The way to solve this problem is to develop new markets. In response to the probe, the island's Ministry of Economic Affairs said Taiwan allows imports from China, as long as they don't pose danger to its national security. British lawmakers revealing that they and their families have been targeted by the Chinese regime. That's to deter them from speaking out. These lawmakers regularly criticize the Chinese Communist Party. Sir Ian Duncan Smith is a former Conservative Party leader and a prominent China critic in the UK. He told the Telegraph newspaper that an imposter created a fake email purporting to be him. The imposter tried to convince politicians that Sir Ian Duncan Smith had recanted his views and decided the Chinese regime was a beacon of goodness and decency. Alicia Kearns, head of both the China Research Group and Foreign Affairs Committee, revealed that the regime has also targeted lawmakers' families. She said when a child of a colleague applied to university, the institution was warned all Chinese funds would be withdrawn if the child was accepted because their parent had been sanctioned by the Chinese regime. It's also claimed that one sanctioned lawmaker's child was barred from getting on a flight with a Chinese airline because of their surname. In 2021, China sanctioned seven UK lawmakers. All of them have been criticizing Beijing for its human rights records. And in Russia, Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu unexpectedly met with Russian President Vladimir Putin over the weekend. He was only expected to meet with Russian defense officials. Here's what they discussed. Beijing announced Li's visit to Moscow last week, saying he would meet defense officials, but made no mention of a meeting with Putin. Li and Putin hailed military cooperation. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shogu was also present. Russia and the Chinese regime had a so-called no-limits partnership, and Chinese party leader Xi Jinping met Putin in Moscow last month. Russia and China have moved to further strengthen their economic, political and military ties since Moscow sent tens of thousands of troops into Ukraine in February 2022. A senior official in Kyiv said on Friday that Ukrainian forces are finding a growing number of components from China in Russian weapons used in Ukraine. The Chinese regime has repeatedly denied sending military equipment to Russia. China's defense minister said the country is willing to work with Russia. That's to keep strategic communication open between their militaries. Coming up, 95% of the world's communications pass through undersea cables. So what does it look like when those lines get severed during a war? That's exactly what happened when two of Taiwan's cables recently got cut off. James Fennell, retired U.S. Navy captain and former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, says he believes the situation was no coincidence. We spoke to him about why. His take in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We hear a lot about communication through satellites like Elon Musk's Starlink, but much less is how much of that gets transmitted along the bottom of the ocean. Even though a whopping 95% of our internet traffic passes through the deep sea superhighways. But it's not just communication. The banking sector, the command and control of military forces, and diplomatic initiatives all rely on undersea cables. So what happens when a foreign adversary tries to manipulate them? 
This is what some experts say recently happened near Taiwan. Two undersea cables close to Taiwan's Matsu Island were severed, isolating the island from the outside world. But is there really something sinister happening behind the scenes? We hear from James Fennell, retired U.S. Navy captain and former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, for details. As an intelligence professional, I generally don't believe in coincidences. So the fact that there were two cables cut at Matsu uh, is worrisome. Now, we've had the Taiwan government say that they don't believe that it was intentional. Okay, I'll take them at face value, but I would want to know why they happened, are they, what are they doing to protect them? And I also could see on the other side how the PRC could be using these as a test case to see how Taiwan responds. What does Taiwan do? How long does it take for them to repair? The repair ship, the cable repair ship that's going to Matsu won't get there until the 20th of April. So since February until the 20th of April, there's been reduced uh, internet capabilities uh, just for that one little island. And if you know that Matsu is right off the coast of mainland China, just 10 miles away, closer to mainland China than it is to Taiwan proper, uh, it's a tripwire for Taiwan's military forces. So in the event of hostilities, in the event of an, a PRC invasion of Taiwan, taking out Matsu and Kinmen's ability to communicate would be a natural expectation. And Jim, on the note of the Matsu Islands, with that example in terms of Taiwan, it seems there's this new report out from Reuters that China plans a $500 million subsea internet cable to rival that of a U.S.-backed project. So are we going to see something like the Matsu Islands, but on a much larger scale? Would China be able to cut that off for the world or turn it off? How would that play out? Well, this, this, this contract that you mentioned, which is basically the combination of uh, three firms, China Telecom, China Mobile Limited, and China uh, Unicom, uh, they're formed together to, to basically offer up a counter offer uh, that was for the sea cable was called Europe, Middle East, and Asia, which was essentially from Singapore to Marseille, France. And over the course of the last year and a half or so, the United States was their cable companies were able to outbid uh, these uh, conglomerate uh, consortium of the Chinese and and win the win the contract. So now China said, well, fine, if you're going to do that, we're going to build our own, which kind of gets to the same argument that was made in space. The United States had a space infrastructure combined with the Europeans. Well, we're going to build our own like they did with the Beto uh, global positioning system. They built their own global positioning system. They're building their own satellite uh, infrastructure for intelligence. Now they're going to build their own major cable uh, networks that will connect Asia with Europe uh, to counter and, and to compete against the United States. So we're heading into an era of decoupling. And what this could mean is, is that China could have their own network of undersea cables. And in the event of hostilities, they would then want to take out U U.S., European non-Chinese network, and they could cut them off theoretically, and they could continue to operate and buy and sell and trade and share information while potentially uh, the U.S. and its allies could not. And Jim, given how important these undersea cables are, not just to communication, but also everything else you laid out, what would the solutions be? What are the steps the U.S. needs to take now to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, I think it, it started in the Trump administration where they formed a team to actually look after these things, and the name's escaping me, but they formed a team that was designed to look after 
you know, this issue of uh, internet and internet security and cables and such. And so I think by doing that and focusing national attention on it, at least at the federal level, that we continue to uh, monitor these things, invest in hardening of the infrastructure, uh, and also making sure that we uh, we're understanding what our adversaries are doing and making sure that we can see if they're getting close to uh, manipulating our, our, our networks or our allies' networks. So if there was to be attempts by the PRC to cut the cables that go to Taiwan, that we would see that well in advance, that we would have indications and warning of that, and so that we could help uh, prevent any uh, you know, degradation to Taiwan's ability to communicate or our other allies in the region like Japan or South Korea, Australia, uh, Thailand, that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.